Support for Healthcare Americana comes from Freedom HealthWorks. With Freedom HealthWorks, physicians, employers, and patients can thrive in direct care. Visit FreedomHealthWorks.com to start your journey into direct care today. From Freedom HealthWorks, it's Healthcare Americana, a show about innovators, idealists, and pioneers in healthcare. These are their stories. I am your host, Christopher Heap. Those of us here at Healthcare Americana felt there needed to be a large conversation about something we spoke with a guest in a previous episode. We have so many passionate guests that are looking to change the world, and rightfully so, and I think they're doing amazing jobs of it. Ideas, discussions, and diversities of thought are always very, very important to the show, but there's an area that was just barely touched upon recently in an episode with David Balot, Director of Right on Healthcare with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. It concerned health insurance and employment and the link between the two in our modern society. This is such a deep potential topic that we asked David back to explore it. This increase in federal and overall governmental control has led to most of the healthcare problems. The push of advocates to provide absolute security and predictability in the form of government guaranteed access to healthcare has resulted in the exact opposite of what they desired. Problems they've encountered is that the healthcare market functions just like any other market, and to the extent that government manipulates healthcare markets, prices will rise, quality will fall, options will disappear, and Americans will be further and further removed from understanding and controlling their own healthcare. Now, David, I wanted to welcome you back uh, to Healthcare Americana because the last time we spoke, we discussed you know a lot of different things uh, about solutions in the healthcare uh, industry and health insurance reform, all that kind of fun stuff. But I feel like we needed to dive in a little bit deeper into how America can and should look at truly reforming health insurance. Now, note that I said health insurance, not health care. And the two paths to really accomplishing this right now that's dominating the debate. It's either government or insurance company dominated. But what about a third path? So David, let's start at the beginning. Fill us in on the evolution of how health insurance and really what we have right now is tying health insurance to unemployment or to employment, sorry. How do they first come about to be basically one and the same? Sure. You know, and thank you for having me back. I really appreciate it. And, and I know this is, uh, this is a great conversation last time. I look forward to doing that again. You know, what you said is absolutely right. Uh, people view healthcare as being very binary. It's either this or that. It's either the way it is now or the way it used to be. And I, I really want to challenge that and really um, have people envision something that could be new, that could be uh, different, that could be actual healthcare, because what we have today is more of a sick care system than a healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's true that people accept this, this false dichotomy between insurance run and government run. And, you know, we've, we've become susceptible to trusting others with our decisions about health because we don't trust ourselves anymore. And a lot of that has to do with what we talked about last time, which was transparency. If we don't know what's going on, how is it that we can make a decision? So therefore we're abdicating our responsibility to another entity. And right. um, that's contributed to things going awry. Right, but this seems but, to be know, more of a, it, it seems to be more of a modern take on, on healthcare, you know, stemming in the past uh, half, half century or so. But, you know, going back to when the US was first founded and you know, how were people able to see doctors and nurses back in the 18th and 19th centuries? Well, healthcare has changed. Well, I should say this. Healthcare has changed, but medicine has changed as well. It's gone from, from the, the, the cure-all 
type of uh, approach to being much more scientific. And that happened in the 1920s. You know, we think it's much older than that, but it's, it's relatively new. We're talking in the last century. Uh, right. But it was very inexpensive because there weren't any middlemen. You dealt with your doctor. You dealt with the hospital directly and you paid cash. Um, you could have uh, one of the, the very first insurance products in, uh, in the early, 20, early part of the 20th century. You could um, prepay for 21 days of inpatient care, and it was $6 a year. Uh, that was the, the very beginnings of what Blue Cross was. And Blue Cross was a very different company than Blue Shield, and they actually merged together in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. So it really has been an evolution. It has changed. And much of the insurance uh, industry that we have today, uh, is a, is, it's a result of uh, intense government intervention. Um, the overreach by the federal government has, has created the monstrosity that we have today. And it's not a Democrat and Republican thing. Every single president, regardless of party, has put their fingerprint on the healthcare industry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Starting, you know, FDR through up through Nixon, through Clinton, Bush, you name it. And uh, we'll put a link up because you have a great study um, through your foundation, some coworkers, some, some colleagues of yours that illustrate exactly uh, all the different points of the government uh, intervened in the healthcare system. But, you know, going back to what you said is how the modern medicine as we know is really in the 1920s, kind of a byproduct of a lot of advancements from the Civil War up through World War I and actually trying to save lives on a battlefield. A lot of incredible things happened there and started getting medical accreditation. But, you know, before that, it was all kind of snake oil and potions, like you said, the cure-alls and a lot of home-based care um, with somebody who might be a veterinarian, might be a physician at the same time. Um, but going through that, you, you said the first insurance programs started to take root. What was the main impetus, the main driver behind a lot of these people kind of pooling resources, I guess, would be the right way to talk about it. What was their main impetus behind doing that? Yeah, really, it was the stock market crash. um, And people were were struggling to pay their hospital bills. And the hospitals were looking for a way to uh, aggregate or or, or get payment up front so that they weren't losing out on on that revenue because people weren't spending any money because they didn't have any. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that stock market crash really was a, a, a huge impetus for this. Yeah. So you go from a shift from home-based care from a local physician coming in on a horse to, um, or if they had a car, I don't know if they did back then, uh, widespread, I doubt it. But then you have more kind of, well, the doctor's not going to the patients anymore, but the patients are now going to the doctors. You have incredible advantages on that, incredible economies of scale, they're able to be built, You've got all that experience and, and expertise in one building. So rightfully so, hospitals started to proliferate, right? So take us through well, the hospitals 20s. Were, were different back in those days. You know, well, yes. Doctors did still patients, but they functioned more for critical care types of, of uh, events, big, big issues. You know, today we, we go and see them for ear infections and ear aches as, as opposed to just things that are very, very serious. Right, right. That's uh, kind of the abuse of the ER. And so these, these prepayment plans came about. Um, why were these such attractive plans to patients and to physicians? Well, it, well, it wasn't to physicians. Physicians weren't involved. This was just uh, simply between the hospital and, and patients. And what the hospital did, and it was actually a, a Baylor University Hospital in Texas uh, that where this all started. They went to the, uh, the teachers union and they were signing up uh, the teachers 
with this membership. And it was, like I said before, you could get 21 days of hospitalization for an annual payment of $6 per member. Mm-hmm. Which is what, a hundred bucks or so in today's dollars? You know, I haven't done that calculation. I'd be interested to see. <laughs> I think it was somewhere in there. And, and I think I pulled that directly from that report, you know, adjusting for inflation, but still not a lot of money compared to what we're used to today. Oh, that's absolutely right. Because again, there, there was no middleman. You were paying the hospitals directly. It, it, it's very similar to the model of uh, the direct primary care, or you're paying a membership and you have access to that doctor. I have 24-7 access to a, a physician for $60 a month. That's very inexpensive today. But in this, in this model, this wasn't, it, it was insurance, but the hospital benefited 100% of the time. There wasn't this big insurance middleman as we have it today. And that's really been responsible for driving up the cost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we go through the depression, we have hospitals starting to do business and bring patients to them, kind of forcing doctors' hands, if I understand you correctly, to operate within that, that kind of a structure. Then we fast forward to Social Security in 1935, and that's where we start to see the first kind of federal intervention, uh, I would say, into kind of welfare care in the United States. Would that be correct to say? Yeah, absolutely. In uh, 1930s, uh, 1934, uh, we see uh, uh, the progressives really pushing their agenda to having a lot of Americans more dependent uh, on the government for uh, uh, their protection and for their their livelihood. Mm-hmm. And again, that started in the depression, where it's mostly just focused at the elderly, focused on people who were able to work, but were unemployed. Uh, obviously, again, it was the Great Depression. You don't get a name like that by having uh, a lot of employment uh, numbers through the roof here. So right. again, I know we're kind of moving quickly to build this backstory here, but kind of the big question is, when did health insurance and healthcare start to become confused with one another? So I think we need to back up and talk about one more thing. Um, around that same time period, there was something that was very unique to the United States, and it was the marriage of the health benefits with the employer as opposed to the employee or to the citizen. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, this, is, this is a pivotal time that will answer your question down the road. I remember correctly, 1942, President Roosevelt he signed an executive order. He froze the wages of all uh, private industry. Mm-hmm. And employers, were, they were left with no other options. The only way they could attract workers were by offering competitive benefit packages. So health insurance was the crown jewel of, of, of that benefit package. And so the richer those were, the more attractive that organization could be for candidates. So that's how insurance got married into, uh, into employment. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, that's a great, uh, great kind of backstory there. It was 1941, he established the Office of Price Administration and Civilian Supply, um, FDR did. Yeah. Avoid profiteering during wartime, freeze wages, that type of thing. So, you know, how, so, so employers were needing to hire people. They saw this as a way to entice talent. It, it, it kind of goes down to unintended consequences. And I've heard people say that the current status quo of what we have nearly 80 years later is a complete accident, but direct lineage to those type of interventions in the economy. Yeah. You know, the phenomenon of of pre-existing conditions is directly related to what happened in this time, because you really don't have that issue in many other countries. Mm -hmm. And it's purely because the benefits were tied to your employment. Now, 
we've also had, had a change in the way that, that people are employed. In the 40s, if you started with a company, chances were you were going to retire there. Sure. So there wasn't this issue of, of having a pre-existing condition because you've lost benefits here and you're going somewhere else. Uh, but we live, in a, we live in a gig economy now. And, and we have for a while. People go from job to job. And if they get sick at one job and move to another or have to get their own insurance, you know, they have an underlying condition that's going to contribute to more risk for the insurer or the employer. So right. until we get to the point where these, this type of coverage is portable, we're going to continue to have this problem. Right, right. And it's it just it kind of shocking to look at some of these numbers and see how quickly this movement proliferated. Um, and so obviously you're talking about what we consider to be job lock. When people are, like you said, it was a great point too, that I don't think a lot of people think about is that no longer is somebody considered a quote unquote company man or company woman. Um, they're with them from you know, from the start of their career until the end of the career. I think last I looked, people are changing careers, especially people coming out of college, young professionals. Every four to five years, you're with a different company. Some of them are now two to three years, or some of them are so independent and running off the gig economy that uh, this is such an outdated type of a principle. And so, looking on that right now, and then just layer upon layer upon layer of government intervention, and, and again, unintended consequences happen, we get to this point today where people are so entrenched in their career, whether it is beneficial to them or not, that they are so afraid of losing their health insurance because it's the only thing tied to that. How does that benefit anybody? And how do we do something about that to decouple employment from health insurance? That's an excellent question. And there's been a lot of pushback on that because, of course, employers they receive a, a tax advantage for having those benefits. Some of the things that have solidified this practice in, in, our, uh, in our society. There's a push for, for individuals to have the same tax advantage. There's an HSA bill right now, I think um, HR 5596 and the companion in the Senate that's 3112. What they do is they allow for uh, a decoupling of, of HSAs from high deductible health plans. You can put money into those health savings accounts and use them for qualified medical expenses. And, and they're broadening those definitions as well. Mm-hmm. So allowing people to, to have more of their money and then allowing them to spend their money uh, how they wish uh, is really going to make healthcare more competitive and therefore more affordable. What about the arguments that people will say on that one that, well, if we go that route, then I'm at the mercy of some profiteering company and healthcare should be a right. What do you say to those people? Well, 80% of healthcare is shoppable. And let's talk about the, the human right argument. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to do so. And, and let's, let's live in a scenario where it is deemed a human right. What other right is there where the government subsidizes your right? Or forces somebody else to perform something for you. Yeah, that's a completely separate issue, but just as valid. Our rights don't require that the government pay for the benefits of that right. Mm-hmm. It just means that you as an individual have a natural right endowed to you by God. Now, that, that natural right does not compel the work of other people, mm-hmm. as you said. And that was, yeah, and that and was so that's, my that's, reference That's, that's, well. that's yeah. a real problem. Yeah, because to enforce your right, you have to trample on the rights of others. And somehow that, that just right. kind of strikes as uh, kind of the antithesis of the, <laughs> the Bill of Rights and United States Constitution right there. 
Absolutely. And, and the unintended consequence is physicians will just go into another line of work. You know, they're smart individuals. Many of them feel that they're called uh, into medicine. And if, if they feel that this field or, or career that uh, they feel called to is going to trample their rights or not reward them for the risk that they're taking, then they're going to look for something else that's going to benefit their families. Right. Right. Again, uh, kind of going back to that job lock, if you can't, uh, can't switch careers because of health insurance, well, guess what? Someone else is going to switch careers because you're trying to force them to do perhaps things that they don't want to and under conditions that they uh, don't really require uh, for their livelihood. So it, going and, back and to isn't, the, And isn't that human nature? Oh, it is. Isn't that, isn't that the way human nature and, and so many of the regulations given to us by, by government are contrary to um, how we function in our humanity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's a great point. I, I totally agree with you there. And so it, it seems like with that argument just, just stated that healthcare as a right, you know, tramples other people's individual rights on its just in the ground form on its basis. How do we help people understand that there's a difference between health insurance and health care? Because I think that's a, that's a big part of the problem. We even saw it back in 2008, 2009 when uh, you know, the ACA was passed and they called it health care reform. But all that was, was rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, if you will, dealing with health insurance and health coverage. You know, I may have said this the last time I was on with you, but I, I say it everywhere. So I'm, I'm sure I repeat myself, but I'd, I'd like to caution your listeners that whenever they hear a politician say the word health care, <laughs> they're not talking about health care. Mm-hmm. They're talking about health insurance. I want that to trigger you. I mm-hmm. want that. I want you to, when you hear healthcare, I want you to stop and say, they're talking about insurance, not healthcare. Healthcare is the relationship between a doctor and a patient. You know, I, I just recently testified in the state of Missouri to advocate against their Medicaid expansion efforts. Mm-hmm. And that was the point that I made. Coverage does not equate to care. Let's just talk about Medicaid. These are the most vulnerable. You've got vulnerable women children, the elderly, and the disabled. And because of the administrative burden that Medicaid places on on medical professionals, you have less of them that are enrolled. So you have a limited supply. And Mm -hmm. so they're having difficulty seeing and getting the care that they need, which is why they end up in the the emergency room. And in states that have expanded uh, Medicaid, their ER utilization has just shot through the roof. And it has crowded out those people for whom the program was intended. Now, the same goes for insurance, private insurance. And I would even, I would even hesitate to call it insurance because insurance is a transfer of risk. Mm-hmm. With the average premium being nearly $20,000 a year, and think about that number, that's, that's a brand new car every single year. Yeah, exactly. But then, but then there's another $5,000 deductible on average. Where's the transfer? Where's where's the transfer? We we basically already have catastrophic care, but it's really expensive. Mm -hmm. And we're not getting the care that we need because people are afraid to have to get these big bills and pay thousands of dollars. So coverage has not really contributed to care. It's actually contributed to poorer outcomes. Right. You're spending money on on this massive premium to cover your family, and you can't use it anyways because the vast majority of people don't have enough savings in the bank to even meet their deductible. Exactly. And I, I think I read a report that roughly 60% of Americans have less than $1,000 in their bank account. So 
So yep. it might as well be monopoly money when you're talking about a $5,000 deductible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when the government mandates you, and I know there's no penalty anymore, but when they mandate you to buy this expensive insurance, you can't afford it in the first place. And then they're, again, kind of playing the, the cup game and, and taking money from some people and giving it to others. I, I mean, that just seems like a very confusing web that they're building. Um, you know, you got to ask yourself, when the ACA passed and they're starting to punish employers for not providing health insurance, I mean, did some of those people think that this was going to fail and that they wanted it to fail and that would push people towards complete government control of health insurance? Yeah, that's certainly a theory that's been put out there. I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to speculate on what the intent was, uh, but that's certainly a theory that, that many people believe is the case. Uh, I'm sure some people uh, were, were um, believers that, that this was something that would help people. I, I don't want to discount that. Some had very altruistic uh, intentions and motives, but it just didn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. Well, you said there's a limited supply of actual care available. And when everybody crushes a system like that, whether they want to or not, there's choke points that happen, right? Oh, without question. And, and that's going to vary from region to region. The one thing that, that they fail to understand is that you cannot have a one-size-fits-all solution Mm-hmm. When it comes to really any problem, but especially healthcare, because it's so hyper local. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think I may have said this uh, before, but you know, when I, when we ran hospitals, our primary service area was between a one to three mile radius. So it, it's it's mm-hmm. based on the community that's right there, mm-hmm. and it's just difficult to do from DC or any state capital for that matter. Right, right, and that that participation in the community is something we try to drive home all the time. And I know listeners have heard that here and different types of interviews and stuff that doctors have to be an integral part of their community. No longer can they hide behind just a white coat and a stethoscope and be a name on some insurance company list. That's not their role. It's never been their role in our society whatsoever. So having physicians regain, recapture that prestige and de- and be active within their local communities. I mean, you're exactly right. Let's, let's give them that ability again. So you know, that kind of leads us here to the million dollar kind of closing arguments here that, again, like I said in the beginning, there's really two paths that we go and they're not compatible with one another. You know, universal coverage through a public option or even Medicare for all, uh, which, you know, if people don't like the current system, why would they think more government intervention is a good thing? Or we give total control to insurance companies, which again, kind of the oligarchy of that is not working for a lot of people. So, about this third choice, David, that we were talking about, what about the ability to give people the choice and the ability to care for themselves? To me, that means no longer tying insurance to employment, but it could mean so much more too. It means all kinds of things. And that's what I'm an advocate for is, is options and choices. People need to be in control, but control could mean different things to different people. I was asked just yesterday in an, in an interview, what is the plan to replace the ACA? And I said, look, I think I would be hypocritical to say that there, there is or should be a plan. That's what's gotten us in trouble in the first place. We don't need one, another one-size-fits-all solution. Mm-hmm. We need as many solutions as there are people. And we need to trust in the ingenuity of Americans to develop the, the solutions without the shackles of, of federal regulation and federal laws that restrain trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what's gotten us into this problem in the first place. And we need to circumvent that completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, as, as it pertains to what you said earlier, I, I'd like to just, uh, I don't normally do this, but I'd like to read just a portion 
of, of the paper that you referenced earlier. And yeah. this comes at the very end the, in the conclusion. Uh, but I think it, it answers your question perfectly. It says, this increase in federal and overall governmental control has led to most of the healthcare problems. The push of advocates to provide absolute security and predictability in the form of government guaranteed access to healthcare has resulted in the exact opposite of what they desired. The problems they've encountered is that the healthcare market functions just like any other market, and to the extent that government manipulates healthcare markets, prices will rise, quality will fall, options will disappear, and Americans will be further and further removed from understanding and controlling their own healthcare. The only solution available to the nation is to untangle healthcare from the government and return control of the healthcare system to the patients and providers so that Americans can approach healthcare and deal with the demands of patients. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where we need to go. We need to untangle what we have. We have this big ball of yarn that's tangled to no end. And some would say that it's, it, it's so beyond repair. And, and in some cases, I, I almost want to agree with them. Sure. What we need to do and what we need to think about is how do we establish another system that we can establish alongside of it where the patient is in charge, not the government, not insurance, not third parties, but doctor and patient. And how do we do that? And how do we get to the point where there is uh, real insurance, catastrophic coverage for the, the, the really bad things that happen? Right, right the kind of events that you could potentially have financial ruin for because they're very serious and very complex, but get away from the prepayment of healthcare coverage, if you will. And, and I think the first step is like we talked about breaking that link between insurance and healthcare in a lot of people's minds. Yeah, no, that's without question. And, and too many people have conflated it, but that's again, I think has been intentional uh, because hospitals, yeah. Will, will will depend on on insurance because many of their uh, services are very expensive, and they've been, right. they've continued to increase and astronomically. If if you look at uh, the prices and the allowable rates, the negotiated rates as compared to the cost of inflation, it's just been almost exponential. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they recognize that in order for them to to make the money that they're making, that they need insurance companies. So you have this this. Uh, this collusion, if you will, between those two industries. Right, right. And when the, the hospital lobby uh, sues the government to prevent price transparency, um, doesn't really set a good, warm, fuzzy feeling uh, in a lot of people. Yeah, well, the insurers are right by their side. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's exactly right. And they, they want to keep uh, people from seeing what the real prices are. We'll be right back with Healthcare Americana after a quick word from our sponsors. There comes a time when the man of the house must take charge. Family planning is a tough conversation for many. And at Happy Dad Vasectomy, we understand that decision isn't easy. When your family is complete, our no-needle, no-scalpel, no-stitches procedure will give you peace of mind about your family's future. Happy Dad Vasectomy conveniently books appointments within two weeks of calling and has locations in central and northern Indiana. Visit happydadvasectomy.com to learn more. Happy Dad Vasectomy, the easiest part of family planning. If, if, if you could lay out kind of a one, two, three kind of step item, we, you know, we mentioned, you know, having people decouple uh, insurance and healthcare, just they're not interchangeable <laughs> terms. Is that step one or step one more of the 
hey, hospitals, let's see your prices. Let's, let's pull back of the veil, heel, veil here so that everybody has enough information. Where do we start? Transparency. That's the first step. I know a lot of people disagree with me, but, you know, if we had access to our own money, but we didn't have transparency, how would we spend it? So I think it's important that we understand and we know what the prices are. And it's not just hospitals. It's, it's every aspect of healthcare. It's, it's doctors. It's, uh, you know, physical therapy. It's the pharmacy benefit managers. Every, every aspect of healthcare needs to disclose their fees and prices so that people will, will uh, be able to uh, know what they're paying for or if they want to pay for it at all, if it's a shoppable service. Uh, it, clearly, uh, you're not going to shop if, if there's something catastrophic or, or, or very, very expensive and, and urgent. But again, 80% of healthcare is something that you can spend time and schedule, and you can certainly, um, you know, uh, make those decisions that are not only based in quality, but also with price. Mm-hmm. And that 20% is, again, kind of why you have a homeowner's insurance policy, too. You know, most of the, mm-hmm. the maintenance within the home is going to be kind of on your own dime here. But the big stuff, you prevent financial ruin for that. So, so there we go, David. A lot of, a lot of challenges uh, ahead for us. But conversations like these, you know, hopefully we get the, the hearts and minds and get people thinking in the right direction. Oh, absolutely. And I hope, uh, I hope we can have these conversations again and again because yeah, I think it's going to take that for it to stick. Uh, many people are are really rooted in, in a sense of fear. And if I could leave uh, your audience with this, trust yourself to make the best decision. Find a doctor that you can establish a relationship with and have him uh, be a partner with you. Insurance has relegated uh, many of our medical professionals to being that person in the corner of the room facing a computer and being a data entry clerk these days. But we need to turn that ship around and uh, we need to be involved in our decision-making and understand that, that healthcare uh, is very, very different than health coverage. Mm-hmm. And being involved in that process is, is intimately important. Uh, so don't be afraid to envision something that is possible and something that is good for you and for those that you love. That's nicely said. David Ballot, thanks for joining us. Uh, again, Director of the Right on Healthcare Initiative at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Pleasure chatting with you again. And thanks so much for uh, being a repeat offender, as I'll call you, on Healthcare Americana. Happy to be here. Thank you. Healthcare Americana is powered by Freedom HealthWorks, managed by Melissa Turpin, produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro. Send us your thoughts at info at healthcareamericana.com. I'm Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. And hey, if you're interested in becoming a sponsor, let us know that too. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.